Oh, hello. All right, I was going to say, we're going to do a magic campaign and buy you all some mics. All right. Um, <clears throat> so it's good to be here. I, I, hey, listen, I, I'm glad that you guys clapped when, when they mentioned I was here. You're the only people that do that ever for me. So uh, thanks for making me feel special. It's good to be here. And I'm really thankful uh, for Jason Isaacs for choosing me to come in on a time change. So uh, I mentioned this earlier in the service next week. Y'all should meet early for him. Okay. Make, make him, you, that's messed up. You know what I mean? Like making you all come here and he takes off. You know, it's just, that's servant leadership. Anyway, um, so I'm glad to be here for those of you who do not know me. My name is David Kennedy and I serve as pastor with Autumn Lake Church. Uh, Autumn Lake Church is a church that planted a few years ago, and I'm happy to say that we launched, our launch Sunday we celebrated, it was last week was uh, our fourth year. So uh, we're so super excited uh, to be about a part of that. And I'll say that I'm so happy that we have a tie with you all. We don't have a connection with you all, we have a tie. And I was talking about that again, I'm, I'm, hopefully I don't keep saying that, I was talking about that earlier. Um, but I'm excited about this service because I can preach as long as I want. You know, I can say anything I want. I can go as long as I want. And, uh, you know, I know y'all are excited. Y'all have, like, a ton of energy. Uh, but we have a tie with you all. And you all know what it is to have relationship ties, right? Sometimes your ties are, are really tight and are really strong. And sometimes you've probably experienced having to sever ties with people. But we have a tie with you all. And, and, and as churchy as this may sound, like, Jesus is the tie that binds us. It's an old hymn from back in the day. But when I was thinking about that, about, you know, Ecclesiastes talks about the ropes. You know, the, the cord, the two cords are really strong, but the rope of three cords is not easily broken. And so when you think of the Autumn Lake cord, the, the Hope City cord, and, and, and Christ that's working, is just really tying us together and allowing us to go and live on mission for him together. So um, we are collectively uh, celebrating that, and I celebrate that with you. Um, one thing that I didn't mention, but I, I'm, I'm super happy to say, is that this is a, a big year for us, and I really want, am asking you all uh, to really pray um, for the Autumn Lake congregation. We have some big decisions to make. Uh, some new opportunities are in front of us. Uh, it looks like we might pull the trigger and move into an actual church building. And, uh, and while you are all clapping, I am nervous about that. Um, and it, just because of my heart... Um, on, on mission, I'll talk about that in just a second. But I'm I'm a little uh, you know uncomfortable with that. Maybe it's maybe it's my pride. Maybe maybe I'm going to lose a little street cred because we meet in the VFW and there's a bar in the back. You know, I kind of like that. You know, um, I'm I'm reminded I'm reminded of of the redeeming nature of God when we go in there. You know, people are getting drunk on Saturday night. You know, and so people are leaving there at one two in the morning drunk and we are proclaiming the Lord's death until his return at 1030. And so, you know what I mean? And so there's something about that. And I kind of, I'm afraid I'm going to miss that. You know, maybe it's that we, sometimes we, we've had to take communion out of Jägermeister shot glasses and I'm going to miss that. You know, I don't know, but I, I just, I just, you know, I just, there's that redeeming thing. So when you do that, and you look at this, and while people are taking photos, like, oh, this is so cool, selfie communion with the Jaeger bomb cup, you know? Like, and so it, it's, it seems good, but then when you take it, and you're like, wait a minute, this is redeeming. The Lord's taking what someone will use to harm themselves or to mask something that now that we are proclaiming Jesus in this cup. You know what I mean? Like, there's something powerful. So pray for us, because we might move in. Um, to this facility, and so we got some people that are super excited, begging me, like, we got to do this, 
And then there's, a, there's another church that's pretty close by, um, has had a lot going on in the last couple of years, really fledgling right now. There, there, there has been a painful uh, time for them. And so we have begun a relationship uh, with them. And so as unhealthy as we are right now, we are the healthiest I think we've been. And so uh, it would make sense for us to build a relationship with another struggling church. Uh, and that's God's MO. And so he takes our imperfections and he does something beautiful with that. So that's kind of our story, uh, kind of where we are. You know how to pray for us. And so, uh, again, we're just excited about this tie that we have with you all. And you know, I think when we think of uh, our relationship in terms of, of, of a tie, this really moves the needle. It moves the needle from us and you all and him. It goes to we. Does that make sense? This is us together, that we are the church. And you know, the church is really a big deal, right? The church is a big deal. Actually, it's more than a big deal, it's sacred. I don't know if you've given this much thought about the sacred aspect of the church. And if you want to know something nowadays, do you just go to the dictionary? No, you go to Google, right? So as I was thinking about this, I go to Google and I look up sacred. And it talks about something being given to the service of God or lowercase g gods and worthy of our veneration. So is the church worthy of our veneration what is sacred about the church? And when I say church, I'm not talking about a local congregation. I'm talking about the capital C church, the church universal. Christians. So we're small enough here. And like, I don't care, I would do this if I was in Southeast. Here's the thing. Uh, when you uh, think of church, what words have you heard used to describe the church? What have you heard the church called? The body of Christ, right? Somebody got something over here? The body of Christ, anybody else? Y'all were just singing and dancing. Nobody's got anything to say right now. <laughs> body of believers, the bride of Christ, have you heard that one? Back in the day, um, the church was called the people of the way. That sounds cool, right? Maybe a little weird to some people. I asked this recently, because this is something I've really been stewing for a while. And I asked the congregation at Autumn Lake Church, I said, hey, what are some of the terms you've heard used to describe the church? Someone said, hypocrites. But not even just in a negative way. Because if we're honest, we all have some kind of level of hypocrisy that we're battling, right? But it's a gathering of people who struggle with that. And we're just trying to, you know, work this out. So it's just really just this gathering of people. But does this really matter? On some level, I think it does. I think we have to think in terms of the sacredness of the church. And I think I made up that word, by the way. I don't know if sacredness is actually a word. But the sacred side of the church, we have to think about it. It can be really helpful if we sometimes stop and contemplate what we are really communicating. Because I've been on this for a while, I have asked the Autumn Lake congregation to not say they go to church. Don't tell people you go to church. You'd probably feel uncomfortable if Pastor Jason said, hey, if your neighbors ask, don't tell them you go to church. Because we don't go to church. We go to Taco Bell. 
We don't go to church. We gather as a church. Does that make sense? We don't go. We gather. I'm stewing on this. I've encouraged our church congregation here to not say, my church. I go to my church. Or, hey, um, hey, what are you doing Sunday? Hey, why don't you come to my church? I know it sounds like I'm making a mountain out of a molehill, but sometimes what we say matters. Because if you say my church long enough, you'll start believing it. The reason why I've said let's not say my church is because it's not mine. I, don't, I get uncomfortable when people say, hey, how are things going over at your church? I don't have one. Jesus has a church. If I start saying my church long enough, I'm going to believe it, and there's going to be a golden calf in the back room. And people are going to start doing things the way they want. And there are people that are leaving the congregations that they are a part of over things that really have no major impact, have not even a salvation issue. Things that have nothing to do with mission. How in the world people leave over carpet? I have no idea. And it seems kind of funny, but it's sad that this is what's happening within the congregations. And because people believe it is their church. It, and, and I know this sounds like I'm just kind of just saying a few things. It sounds weird, but listen to this. Does this sound like Ephesians 5.25 to you? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Ladies, say amen to that, right? I want my husbands to love me the way Jesus loves me. The church, right? But how did he show that he loved the church? It says right here that he gave himself up for her. That doesn't sound like my church, does it? I go to my church. No, he gave himself up. For his church. He's redeemed people, not me. And so for us to say, hey, um, I, I go to church, I feel like when we talk that way, even though our intentions are good, we are in some way devaluing the church. And I don't want to do that. I don't, I, I don't want to be a part of just, I don't want church to feel like, oh, well, you know, I, I go to church and I, and I go to Taco Bell. It's not on that level. I want to be a part of something that Jesus died for. If it's that important that he died for it, I want to know what that is. So what we're going to do today is we're just going to just unpack a little bit of scripture and hopefully get a reminder or maybe an understanding of what the Bible says the church is. So if you've got your Bible or your phone with you today, I'd like for you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to just look at verses 9 and 10. And we're just going to get in that for a few minutes. And while you're looking at that, I'll, I'll kind of set up a little context for you. Uh, Peter was one of the uh, apostles, and he was uh, one of the early disciples that Jesus called to be with him. And he was, scholars believe he was in that inner circle. He had, inside the 12 disciples, Jesus had Peter, James, and John. And so Peter seemed to be a very intense guy. He grew up Jewish, and now he is following Jesus. He left his uh, fishing business that he, that he had, and he, and he went and followed Jesus, and he wrote this letter, and this first letter we read um, that he wrote to the church. Listen, listen to what he says before we get into chapter 2. He reminds them of some important things. He says, you have been born again, 
not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. He tells them to put away all the malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. And he tells them, so who does that? Immature people, right? And he tells them like a baby to long for that pure spiritual milk. And he wants them to grow up in the word. And here's what he tells the church. This is where we're going to camp out for a little bit. But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I want to be a part of that. I, 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 don't, I don't want to view the church as some place that I go to for my religious activity. I want to be a part of something bigger. So, so there's four things here that Peter said the church is. And it goes back. He pulls in some of this, this Old Testament because the Old Testament pointed to Jesus. And so, so many of his... Uh, Readers had a Jewish background. And so he starts pulling in some of this, this rich history, in, uh, particularly Exodus chapter 19 and, and Isaiah 43. And so the first thing I want us to consider today is that we are a chosen people. In Isaiah 43, it says, The beasts of the field will glorify me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I have given waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people. This is actually preferably translated chosen race. So the term that was once used to describe Israel is now used to describe God's new people. And this means us. God chose us. And so God expanded, by doing so, he expanded his family to include people who did not grow up Jewish. He was so wanting people who didn't grow up Jewish to come be part of his family that he even sent the Apostle Paul specifically to go to the Gentiles so they would understand that who he was and that he loved them and that he was for them. And more people need to know nowadays that God is for them. Sadly, so many of us Christians are known for what we're against and what we're for. But God is for people and he's for us. You know, I have, a, I have a friend that is really, really intentional about following Israel. You know anybody like that? Man, I stand with Israel. And he, he reads books on Israel. He sends money to the different ministries that stands with Israel. And I'm like, well, that's cool, brother, man. You stand with me. I'm Israel. I'm the new Israel. He's weird, right? But I, I, I'm, the new, I'm part of the new Israel. If you're a believer, you're part of, like, we are God's chosen people. That should be good news to us. So if if we are currently just kind of devaluing church and considering it as a place that we go, aren't we missing out that we are God's chosen people? I want to know that God chose me. 
to be a part, just that, that he chooses people to be a part of what he is doing. He chooses people to be his sons and his daughters through faith in Jesus. That is good news for us. So now that we know that God chose to to bring together a group of people, Peter then tells them that they are a royal priesthood. Exodus 19 says, You will be for me a kingdom of priests. Most of you would feel pretty weird if I called you a priest. Rob McGuffey is one of my favorite priests. Rob is like, he's freaking me out right now. What what does this even mean? But what, what I mean by that is we have a shared responsibility in the work of the kingdom. When we start, I'm, I'm, I'm saying this a little bit earlier than I want to, but it's okay. When we start viewing church as a place that we go, then we're just, we're just, we're just going to the priest. Or we want, we want people to come in, and we just, we just want people to come in for the, to hear the priest. It's just something that I do. No, we're all priests. Listen, 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 to, what, listen to what Alan Black says. By royal priesthood, he meant a group of priests in special service of the king that is God. We are all in special service to our king. And if you are a servant, you are involved in the priesthood. So change your thinking from priest with a guy who wears a collar that's black with a little white little gap. It looks like a little gap tooth to me. I don't know what that is. But the little clergy collar, you know what I mean? Like that's not what, it's a priesthood of believers. We all participate in what God is doing together. One thing within the Autumn Lake Church family, we try to exercise the priesthood of believers. Case in point, I was thinking of Andy. Andy is a guy I met about a year and a half ago. One of our couples, we had our second wedding within the church. And uh, when Vince and Adrian were getting married, I met Tabitha. Tabitha is a property manager where, where they lived, and, and they, they were friends. And uh, just getting to know her and talking a little bit, I noticed she came to a service on Sunday and then came again and was kind of getting on our Facebook, joined the church group and, and things like that. So I'm like, oh, this is cool. And then I hear Tabitha's story that her husband, Andy, and her were separated, and he, was, he had rented an apartment. So they weren't living together, and I guess they were going through that ugly process, and some of us know what that's like. So I guess one Sunday morning, he showed up to appease his wife, because, fellas, that's what we do, right? If we want to really move back home, uh, we'll even go to church, right? We'll say, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll go to church. So he shows up, and he's one of those guys who kind of lets you know what he's thinking, and, uh, and he let me know that he was an atheist. And uh, so I'm like, okay, that's cool, bro, whatever, you know. Uh, we got to know each other, and he came to another service, and we start talking. And, and one day it's like, hey, man, we should just hang out sometime. So he, he hangs out in one of our community groups, kind of getting to know some people. And he, I, I can just see as we're talking, his wheels are turning. And he said one day, he said, hey, man, can, can we get together and have some coffee? I said, Absolutely. So he brings his Bible to the coffee shop. He says, man, I've been reading this Bible every day, and it is messing with me. I said, bro, you, you, can't, you can't outrun God. You can't outrun him, man. He's messing with you, and you're starting to see who he is. And, man, when I baptized him, 
He cried like a baby. One of the favorite pictures I have is me and him in that water and the embrace that he gave me. He put his faith in Christ. And so fast forward to a little over a year later, three weeks ago, he just baptized his daughter. That's right. He baptized his daughter. And so I had to give you that context to say, here's how we, here's how we exercise the priesthood of believers. As soon as Tabitha found out that he was going to be the one dipping her in the water, she said, oh, I don't like that. I said, what, what is the problem? She said, well, that's your job. I mean, you're the preacher. I said, okay. Does Andy believe in Jesus? Yes. Is there evidence of God's grace in his life and what he's doing within your all's marriage? Yes. Okay. Emma, I met with Emma. Emma has a clear understanding of who she believes Jesus is. She believes that he died on the cross for her. She believes that he rose again on the third day. She believes that he's going to forgive her for her sin. You know, she's a believer. And I said, well, if you see this in him, he's qualified to baptize her. He's not, he's not disqualified because he doesn't have a seminary degree. He's qualified because he's been purchased in the blood of Jesus. That's what qualifies him. And so he knows Emma better than me. I don't even know her middle name. Like, you know what I mean? Like, she's a sweet little girl, but I really don't know Emma. But here's what we know. Because Andy has been saved by grace through faith in Christ, and because the evidence that's seen in that, she's seen the worst in her dad. And now because of this faith that he has in Jesus, guess what? She sees that change. She wants to get on that bus. And now because he has now moved to be the priest in his home, that is trickling down into his family. So her family happened to be present that day, obviously, to come in. They're from kind of the country out in Bardstown, land of the lakes and stuff like that. So they all come in, and they're from these little towns where everybody goes to church on Sunday, church service, and uh, everything's closed. And so you know what? They had to see a guy who had walked out on his family now baptize the granddaughter. And, and I got to stand on the stage over at Shively Christian Church. We just rode up to that building and say, hey, most people would be uncomfortable with this. But because he has been in the kingdom now, we are to go and make disciples. He is discipling his daughter. What is the Great Commission? Go into all the nations, right? Make disciples of all the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them all that I have commanded you. Behold, I will be with you always, even till the end of the age. He's doing that. This dude is insanely on fire. Like, this dude, like, he says some weird stuff sometimes. But as soon as you become a believer, after, after like, a couple of weeks, we, we took a little, little break in our small group time. You know, we, we were really busy through the holidays. And he's like, hey, bro, I'm tired of waiting on small groups, man. I got my neighbors coming over Taco Tuesday every day at my house. We all have tacos together. I feed everybody. I pray for everybody. I tell them what I've been reading in Scripture, and we talk about it. He's doing it. He doesn't, he doesn't know a whole lot about the Bible, but he's walking by faith, and he's doing it. He is exercising the priesthood of believers. I was kind of worried, like, man, I can't endorse that. I can't be a church small group because I don't know about Andy and his teaching. And you know, I get that. But he's all in. Some of you today, I cannot help but think that there's someone 
that is worried that they can't participate and do something for God because they're not good enough. And you think that you're not good enough, and that disqualifies you. Your work doesn't qualify you. God's grace qualifies you. And maybe you're not doing what you feel led to do because you don't know enough or you don't have enough or you don't, whatever it is. You are to be active in the priesthood of believers. It's really not an option, it's a mandate. We all have something to do. God has given gifts to his church for us to carry out his mission. So we know that God chose the church and we're a royal priesthood. I can't help but think that when we consider the gospel through this lens, we see that we are free to walk by faith in the power of the gospel. Peter says that we are a holy nation. That sounds pretty deep, don't it? Most of us understand that when, you're, when you become a Christian, right, you're adopted as a, as a son and a daughter of God. But it's so much bigger than that. We become a nation. We know what it is to be a part of a nation. We understand leadership. We understand, hey, we want the, these things to happen for our nation. But we're a nation. I told the people in the first service, next time somebody tells you they don't like Christians, tell them they're a racist. <laughs> now, like the old Israel, the new people of God are set apart for the service of God. God is all-powerful. God can choose anything, anybody to accomplish his will. I get that. But he chooses to use us. And he makes us a nation. So if we are a nation, we as a church are as witnesses, right? But what I'm curious of is when people see our nation, what do they see? What is the state of the union in the church? My brother told me a long time ago, he said, you know what, David, I don't really have a problem with God. I just got a problem with the people who represent him. Kind of had a point. But we're all just flawed people. But when he looks at the nation, he had a problem with what he was seeing. If we devalue the church as some place that we go to for religious activity, we're missing out. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 16. You've heard it. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let's just be honest. Racism is a big deal in our country right now. Folks will look at other people groups and make decisions based solely on some surface level stuff. And it's not always wise decisions. But when people look at us as Christians, as the church, what do they see? Are they happy with what they see? I'm thinking that Jesus is telling us, when people look at the nation, they should be compelled to follow me. 
I want to be a part of that nation. We understand we want to be part of winning teams. Now everybody's got Cubs shirts, right? Everybody loves the Chicago Cubs. People ain't watched one game in five years. They go to the World Series, and now they, get, now they got a Cubs jersey on, right? They don't know anything about the Cubs. But people want to be on the winning team. People want to be a part of something special. When people see the church, we should be so illuminating and so just out there that people want to be a part of that. And how do they see that? They see that by the way that we live our lives and we participate in this priesthood. That's how they see it. We take our citizenship in this nation seriously. And lastly, Peter says that we are a people belonging to God. I go back to Isaiah chapter 43 when he said he gives drink to his chosen people. The Lord says, the people whom I formed for myself will declare my praise. This gives us hope. As Christians, we belong to God. We're a family. If we're a nation and we're sons and daughters, that makes us family. And family life is hard, right? I mean, I, I, I think that my family, I think we put the fun in dysfunctional. <laughs> family life's hard. Some of you grew up and, and, and you got a rough family. Did, any of you like me? I mean, sometimes at Thanksgiving, I get, ner- I get nervous like the week before. <laughs> the wife starts having panic attacks. You know what I mean? It's like, oh my gosh, I dread Thursday. And everybody shows up, hey, it's good to see you. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying. You're walking up the driveway. Can we just get this over with? Ding dong. Hey. You're hugging each other. I haven't seen you in forever. Let's catch up. I saw your Facebook. You know what I mean? Like, come on, everybody's lying to each other. But sometimes get around. But guess what? You show up. You bring the casserole dish. You play cards. And at the end of the day, you're just like, man, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was. Getting together with the family is special. Because we belong to God. People aren't always just looking for the church as far as like a, a, from a religious perspective. But people are really longing for a place to belong. If people are in unhealthy families, they want to be part of a healthy family. And, we're, and listen, we are bound together as family, not by flesh and blood, but by the Spirit. And through what Christ has done, because he's the tie that binds us. And if, when he brings us together, we become one big happy family. There is no us and you all. It's we. And I'm just going, why I'm, I'm kind of just bagging on stuff and just sharing my heart. Let me tell you this. I think we have spent too much time talking about a personal relationship with Jesus. You know, you've seen the bumper stickers. It's not about a religion. It's about a relationship, right? It is. We do as believers have a personal relationship with God through Christ, but it's not just a personal relationship. It's a communal relationship. We enjoy the relationship with Jesus in community with the church. And people are missing that. People are just hanging on to the personal side. And they'll say things like this. Well, you know what? I don't have to go to church to believe in God. I don't have to be a part of the church to believe in God, to believe in Jesus. If you love Jesus then you love his church. 
It's the way it is. You, you, you can't have it both ways because he died for that church. The people that you don't want to be a part of, he died for them. And just like he died for you, you're missing out. They're the ones that are missing out from their family. And so when you know that there's some people, and it may be some even part of this local family, this immediate family, bring them back to the family. Participate in that priesthood believer. Go love them and say, we want you to participate. Come back to dinner with the family. Come to worship with the family. It's a communal relationship. God said these are people that he formed for himself. Peter actually follows what is called the Septuagint. He's not really following the Hebrew Old Testament. He's following the Septuagint. The Septuagint is a Greek translation of the Old Testament. And so if you really get, get down to brass tacks, what it says is, my people whom I have acquired. We are a holy nation that he has acquired through the death of Jesus and the resurrection. For you to acquire something, you're purchasing it, right? We are a nation that has been formed together because Christ redeemed us. When you redeem something, you buy. How many of you coupon? There's something about redeeming your coupons, and now you have 45 tubes of toothpaste in your back. You know what I mean? Like, hey, these were seven cents. You know what I mean? So about 70, right? And you still can't get your kids to brush their teeth every day. So it's going to last you like 10 years. So there's something about redeeming. And so God has acquired us. And now we no longer have to earn our way back to him. We don't have to struggle with what we, what, I don't have the skill set to do that. I don't know enough about the Bible to do that. Hey, listen, he has purchased you up and he did this at the closing. He took care of the closing cost and he said, I got you. I bought you. Now you're going to go. God is a sending God. And he sends us out onto mission. And now we're freed up in the power of the gospel to go participate in what God is doing in the world. And that's called the Missio Dei, the activity of God. We get to participate in that. And so this isn't that, hey, you know, you believe in God and you're part of this religion. It has all these, these rules and these, these heaping things and Christians can't have fun. No, we are free. We should be one happy family because we are free. And so he says that we are a people who proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Listen to this. This proclaim his praises or his excellencies can actually be translated mighty acts. Every one of us here can declare God's mighty act. If you're a believer in Christ, you have a mighty act that God has done in your life. One, because he saved you, and that's enough. You know, we get too wrapped up in, this, in these, the big stories. Well, I really don't, I really don't know what I'm going to do. I really don't know what I would say. First of all, declaring God's praises is more than coming to Sunday morning service. I love that you all get down at River City. But it's more than that. We declare God's mighty acts. I love hearing the story, you know. I've got, a, I've got a friend of mine, Stephon Easton, I've known him for 10 years. He was shot on two occasions. If getting shot six times, the first wasn't enough, he still continued to be in the street and got shot nine times later. 
This man's been shot 13 times, and he's living for Jesus. We love those stories. And some of you are like, well, I really don't have that kind of story. You know, I grew up in a good home. My mom and dad, we had supper every day. We said our prayer. You know what I mean? Like, I don't have a good testimony. If you've been saved, you got a testimony. So quit worrying about what you don't have and what you have. Because you know what impresses me more than Stefan's story? Is when you meet someone who decides it at 10 years old that they're going to follow Jesus and they're 80 and they're still following Jesus and they've got 70 years of faithfulness to tell you about. I want to be a part of that. I want somebody in my nation to say, you can do this. You're a part of it. I'm in your family. I know you have some stuff going on, but let me tell you how faithful God is. I'm bearing witness to this. He's done this for me for 70 years. And sadly enough, people are shoving the old people out. Bring the old people back in. They can tell you something. I'm going to start ranting. So I'm going to wrap this up with verse 10. We need to hang on to this here. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He didn't quote Hosea, but he's really quoting Hosea. So many of us think we have hard lives. If you don't know who Hosea is, go home and read the book of Hosea today. It'll take you about 15 minutes, and it's going to mess with you because the Lord told him to marry a woman who is a prostitute. So Hosea is like, you think you got it bad? Get it, me, bro. It's, you, you do not have it as bad as me. He had to go buy his wife back. And so listen to what it says in Hosea chapter 2, verse 23. I will show my love to the one I called, not my loved one. I will say to those called not my people, you are my people, and they will say, you are my God. We are together as one church, and we say, you are my God, because he has purchased us through Jesus, and he has redeemed us. And now we, as one church, we get to proclaim his mighty acts and alerting people to the kingdom. And what is that kingdom? That is a universal reign of God in Christ. That's what the kingdom is. There should be distinctives in our nation. People understand national talk. Well, we need this law, and we need this, and we need to be a people to do this. We need to be a nation that alerts people to God's reign. Let's pray.